Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. The year was 1685, the place was Germany, and there was a new baby boy in town. His name, Johann Sebastian Bach. Undoubtedly, in my humble but accurate opinion, as my friend Charles Carter says, the greatest composer in the history of music. And we're going to listen to some Bach today, as well as talk about Bach with a very special guest I'll introduce in just a moment. But right now, let's go to Johann Sebastian Bach. And whatever you're doing, if you're driving down the road, maybe you're at home, you've just mowed the lawn, whatever you're doing, take a few minutes off and listen to this great, great music by Bach. Wasn't that great? Well, you can hear all kinds of great Bach music in many different forms, and we're going to talk about Bach today. Bach is, of course, a wonderful composer, one of the great leading lights in the history of, of music and musicology, but our focus today is Bach among the theologians. And I got the idea for this podcast by reading an article by a friend of mine, Dr. Jason Dusing. Dr. Dusing, Jason, is the provost of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is in Kansas City, Missouri. And he's written a very interesting post, a blog called, As a New Semester Begins, Welcoming Bach Among the Theologians. And it got me thinking, wow, we need to do a Beeson podcast episode connecting Bach and theology, and who better to introduce it to us than Jason Dusing, who's felt so deeply about this himself. So, Jason, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's truly a, a joy to be here and to talk about these things. Now, in your article, what really grabbed my attention was a little autobiographical vignette you had there about when you were a graduate student, how you used to listen to Bach and how that actually helped you in some ways in your studies as you were deep into important ideas. I might tell people, by the way, that you're a church historian by training written a wonderful biography, biographical theological study of Henry Jesse, one of the most important of the early That's English right. Baptist uh, pastors mm -hmm. and theologians. So that was your field. But as you were working on Jesse and other things, I suppose, uh, you were listening to Bach. Now, let me ask you this question. Why Bach? Well, to continue the autobiographical strain, you know, I, we all go through journeys in our, our Christian life. And of course, where our minds are renewed once we place our faith in Christ and, and have the Holy Spirit indwell us. But lots of our personality and other interests are renewed and changed as well. And I grew up in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, as a pretty typical Generation X kid and had no interest in much in music, much less this type of music, the type of music my own children call the kind without words. Um, and uh, I didn't have much. So if you would have said I would one day be here talking about this, uh, I would have been 
as most surprised. But over the years, um, I just grew to have a, a a fascination with, and especially the the the, the personalities behind the music, mainly Bach himself and his his theology and some of these things. And once you learn more about the man, it causes you to appreciate the the music itself. And um, I found him to be a very helpful companion. Uh, through years of intense academic study. And as I am continuing in the academic profession, even now, academic ministry, uh, he is a regular constant companion. And uh, Dr. George, I'm a, I'm a night person, not a morning person. And so often in the, in, in the wee hours of the night, it's me and Bach sitting there yeah. working and writing and, and, and things like this. And so I discovered a few years ago, a wonderful program that you can access online. Anyone around the world can. It's a, a part of uh the BBC, BBC Radio 3, they have a a uh, episode called Through the Night. It's six hours of interrupted music oh. and uh, a type that we're talking, and Bach is regularly featured there. And so oftentimes in the evenings, that that was my path as I was, as you say, working on dissertation and other academic yeah. endeavors. And, uh, that, that's so a wonderful that's recommendation, Through the Night. I know Billy Graham used to have a, a program called Songs in the Night. And that was probably right. a little different kind of music. But Through the Night is made available mm-hmm. through the British Broadcasting Company. And I mm-hmm. guess it's available online, right? It is. And you don't have to listen to it at 1 a.m. if you don't want to. You can <laughs> listen to it at any point in the time. And the, one of the most uh, beautiful things about it is there are no commercials. So it's oh. six hours of straight oh. the type of music that's helpful to to, to really think think to and work through and things like this. Those British know how to do great music and great programming on radio. I listen to some of it myself. Now, um, you know, you're a Baptist theologian, as I am, and uh, I don't know exactly what kind of church experience you had growing up. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, uh, actually a Southern Baptist slash independent Baptist church. You were kind of borderline. And we listened to a lot of music, but it was not Bach. It was uh, Stamps Baxter. It was, uh, and below that, if you can think of it, it, it was great music in its own way. And I still love some of that music today, but it was a very different genre. However, I know that Bach is often played in music in churches as a part of the music. Uh, what was your experience growing up in the church and Bach? Well, in the in the suburbs of of North Houston, I'm sure I heard some Bach as we were. Um, I was reared Episcopalian and um, mainline Episcopalian uh, all through my uh, teenage and high school years. Um, in that setting, it was f- far more theologically liberal, and therefore, you know, sadly, I don't recall ever hearing the good news about Jesus in terms of how it related to me personally in any way. And, the, and so I didn't trust Christ. I wouldn't mark my conversion until my freshman year in college. And so I, in many ways, you could say that I had a very silent uh, upbringing as it regards to sacred music or church music, especially of the likes of Bach, but really of any of the delightful pieces that you mentioned that you enjoyed. I had to actually relearn hymnody for the first time um, as a college, and really not until seminary did I really even learn the great hymns of the faith. Yeah. You know, that's one of the one of the passions that I have is hymnody. It seems to me that we've lost a lot of that in the church. And of course, Bach uh, wrote hymns. Uh, he wrote musical pieces that have been made into hymns. And we still sing some of those in the church today and a lot of other great hymns. Uh, I'm not against 
praise courses. I'm not against contemporary music. If it's done well and it has content, the Lord can use it and be glorified by it. But we lose something when we cut ourselves off from that great musical tradition of which Bach is maybe the greatest representative. So I, I enjoyed it. Along the way, one of the things I came across was, um, and again, part of the field in which we work, historical theology and church history, I had heard of the great uh, historical theologian Yaroslav Pelikan and had read many of his works uh, just through the course of my studies and own interest, the, the great Yale scholar. Um, but I stumbled across a book that he wrote in 1986 called Bach Among the Theologians. And uh, Pelican, of course, as you know, and know much better than I, you know, was a was a Lutheran before he made the journey to orthodoxy. But um, and so had an interest in he had an interest in Bach and wrote a wonderful little book um, called Bach Among the Theologians. That's just full of all kinds of, of treasures and things. And it was through the, the reading of that book, really, that sort of inspired me to put some simple thoughts down in this blog article. I'm glad you mentioned that book. I'm holding it in my hands right now. Uh, Bach Among the Theologians by Yaroslav Pelikan, published by Fortress Press. I don't know if it's still in print. Probably not, but maybe you can get it somehow on out-of-print books or something. It's a wonderful little book. And one of the points he makes in that book is a comparison of Bach and Vivaldi. Vivaldi, of course, was a contemporary, a little older contemporary of Bach, and Bach learned a great deal, according to Pelican, from Vivaldi in terms of style and form. Uh, but the, the point of comparison that Pelican makes in his book uh, is the Four Seasons, uh, the fa most famous maybe of Vivaldi's com compositions. He wrote many. He compares that to Bach's Four Seasons, and they're very different because for Valdi, it's uh, summer, fall, winter, spring, the seasons of the year, whereas for Bach, it's the seasons of the Christian year. So uh, Advent and Epiphany and Easter and Pentecost, and he says his whole life and his musical uh, formation was geared around following Jesus Christ throughout the year through the liturgical seasons of the year. What do you think about that? I, well, I think it's a, a real instructive way and a really helpful way, almost catechetical in the sense of helping us to appreciate the music along with a liturgical format so that we can understand the pieces in which he composed and how they might line up with some of these celebrations, whether it be Christmas and Advent or Easter along along those lines. So I, I remember reading, that's right early in the book, I remember reading that chapter and it was very instructive for me, again, helping to kind of piece together some things. Now, we, we are both theologians. We spend a lot of our time talking and bantering about ideas and doctrines and teachings of the church and of the scriptures as they've informed the church. How has theology, Bach's uh, music in particular, shaped your theology? Well, one of the one of the pieces that was recommended to me early, it's certainly highlighted in this book by Pelican. Uh, I remember coming across in other articles that being recommended is um, Bach's Mass and B minor. Yeah, and uh, it's of course a beautiful piece to to listen to. But even listening to it and understanding why he composed it the way he did, uh, and again, I'm not a musicologist or even really can even carry a tune. So I, you know, it well in over my head in a lot of this discussion. But as a layman, if you will, working through this, it helped me to, as he's crafting or composing this music to come alongside worship, uh, I would say more than anything, it's it's really helped in my in my doxology as much as my theology in terms of shaping, stirring my heart and, and things like this.
Pelican in the book, he even mentions at one time, he says that talking about Bach, the highest activity of the human spirit was the praise of God. Mm. Uh, but that, that such praise involved is the total activity of the spirit. So for Bach, clearly his music was worship. And, uh, and so it, it really helped me find another way in which to worship God through listening to some of these things. Pelican quotes uh, a scholar named J Jacob Spitta, and I, I want to disagree with Spitta uh, as he is quoted by Pelican, uh, saying that uh, Bach's work captures the bold spirit of native vigor which called the German Reformation into being. Now, I don't think that's Pelican speaking. He's quoting James Jacob Spitta there. But when I think about the music of Bach, and I would not say it's the bold spirit of native vigor that called the German Reformation into being. If that were the case, then we would be worshiping Thor and Wotan, not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, it was, it was the gospel that Luther recovered in the Reformation and that Bach gave such great musical setting to in his work. So, uh, of course, there's vigor, there's dy dynamism in, in this music, but uh, it's something deeper than that. There is a content involved here. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I, I wouldn't want to give a presentation of Bach that kind of sidelined that the way this uh, scholar seems to do. Yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And and Pelican, of course, doesn't dwell on that there that much yeah. anyway, as you say, citing somewhere else. He he really moves on to even categorizing a lot of what Bach uh, composes, especially even that Mass in B minor, is something what he calls evangelical Catholicity. And uh, I think there, in that term, you get more to the root of this celebration of the gospel. Later in the book, he 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 does even go at length to even define what he means by that term and talks about it in terms of using the phrase rediscovery of the gospel and the Reformation and the renewal of the church, then things that follow the Reformation itself on into Bach's own era. You know, um, we could talk about our favorite Bach pieces probably longer than we have time to on the Beeson podcast, but... Um, I, I think his St. John's Passion is just tremendous. Of course, you mentioned the, the Mass in, in, in B minor. That's also, uh, some say, the greatest piece of music in the world. I mean, uh, and, and then there's his wonderful Magnificat, uh, the, the Christmas setting. Uh, He was a Christmas and Easter kind of composer, just like Luther was a Christmas and Easter kind of theologian, I believe. No, I, I, I agree completely. And among Bach devotees, you know, we, we I think there's a greater number of us among theologians than perhaps we realize. Perhaps we need to start our own sort of, ah. I don't know what you do these days, the Facebook group or something. Well, I can hear a, new, a new session of the Evangelical Theological Society <laughs> being born right here on the Beeson Podcast, Dr. Ducing has called for a new association of theologians who love Bach. <laughs> Count me as member number two after you. Well, among my friends that are, are this way, you know, periodically going back to the four seasons throughout the year, we'll sort of remind each other of, of what we're listening to, trying to listen to some of these 
Bach compositions at the time of the liturgical calendar in which he he wrote them. And so at Christmas time, listening to certain pieces or Easter and things like that. And that's another thing I recommend in terms of an annual, you know, participation in, in, in appreciation of Bach's music, listening to them at the time of year he intended for them to be played. And, you know, so much of this music is, as you, you were pointing out with your reference to the Through the Night program on BBC, it's a, it's widely available. I mean, you can just go to YouTube and put in J.S. Bach and you'll, you'll get hundreds of possibilities and of varying quality, yes, in terms of the music, but powerful, powerful music that's easily available to listen to as you work, as you are doing as a student, as you drive down the road or whatever it is you're doing and you're listening to this kind of music. It'll shape your life. It's it not will. just it's not just well, entertainment. I mean, it's formative in a significant way. One question I, I wanted to ask you, if, if I could, was I was curious if you had a, a favorite cellist, uh, one of those who's, you know, many of the cellists, it's a rite of passage to perform the works of Bach. Uh, particularly the cello suites. I didn't know if you had a particular favorite. Yes, I cello. do. That's not a hard question. Yo-Yo Ma. I mean, there are many other great ones, but uh, I don't know any greater than him who are living today. There are some in the past that right. might rank up there. But I would right. say Yo-Yo Ma. What about yourself? Well, I I like Yo-Yo Ma, but I and again, I don't know that I could honestly tell you the difference, but I, the one that I prefer to listen to is Mitslav Rostropovich. Oh, wow. The, he's a classic. Older cellist. He? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Russian cellist. Yeah. It's a little bit off track, but I think the reason why I'm drawn to him is you may have heard Rostropovich was tasked with playing actually not Bach, but a piece by Dvorak, the, the Czech composer, yeah. in 1968 as a part of the BBC proms. And wow. he was asked, this is a Russian cellist playing a Czech piece, and he was asked actually to play it on the day that the Russians were invading uh, Prague. And as the story goes, he's playing this piece and he plays it with, uh, through tears, almost the whole piece crying because of what's happening between between the two countries. And I remember coming across that story and digging deeper and then realizing and seeing him playing all these Bach pieces. And so anytime I can hear Rostropovich play anything of Bach, um, you've got a, a ready listener. And it shows how Bach, you know, touches us in the very depths of our experience as, as human beings, as believers in Christ, and here in a, in a moment of national and, and even civilizational crisis, uh, he is being played and uh, speaking into that. Almost out of time, Jason. But I, I, you, you bring this out in your article um, that Bach routinely ended his musical compositions with uh, two different uh, abbreviations, two different sets of abbreviations: one J J and the other S D G. You often see these just written in abbreviations on Bach's uh, scores: J J. SDG. Tell us what th those letters stand for and, and what they mean. Well, this in particular was what really prompted me to, to see the listening of Bach as almost a devotional exercise in that 
as Pelican says, and there's a few others who pick up on this as well, is that throughout Bach's handwritten compositions, you'll see that JJ usually at the top of a piece and then SDG near the end. And the JJ stands for um, Jesus Help or Yesu Yuva. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you start each piece in a posture of, of submission before the Lord, asking for the help of, of Christ Jesus, almost in the sense of the John 15, apart from you, I can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And then the piece, the piece is composed and played, and that and then, then at the end, the STG is the is the, of course the famous, uh, really imprint of the Reformation, uh, soli deo gloria, that to the glory of God, and so alone, and and that piece sort of concludes his work, and so it's this statement of whatever I've done here, as much as man may say this is brilliant, I've done it in submission to Christ, relying upon His help, and anything that is good that comes from it is to God's glory, and I thought. What what a fitting exercise, even for thinking about our own lives and days, that we start each morning, uh, Yesu Yuva, and we end each day solely day of gloria, much like as Bach did with his own pieces. Beautiful. Jesus, help to God alone be the glory, a prayer and a confession. And that roots us right back into the great faith of the Reformation that we're celebrating this year, 2017, in lots of different ways. One more question, and this is a, we've covered this, but I wonder if you want to add anything else. You're speaking now to pastors, to students, to lay, laypersons all across the world, really, that listen on this internet. And uh, what would you say to folks like this in general about Bach and his importance uh, as a great musician of the Christian faith? Well, he, as I say, I think the, the, the primary importance for anyone who is not a regular listen to him is it can be a very stretching and helpful exercise to increase your devotion to God and allow you to, as you're listening and to work truly, truly to worship and appreciate. Um, but even, even, even on a greater level, you're talking about, as you say at the beginning, one of the greatest composers and musical geniuses of all time. And so to, to see this great, world-renowned work of art done in service to God is truly an, an act of worship and something from which we can all benefit and grow from. Even if you were or are, like I was, uh, not really fond of music without words, um, you know, perhaps starting with Bach can move you in a journey of greater appreciation of this great, great composer. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Jason Jusing. He is the provost of Midwestern Baptist Theological Se- Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, a fine church historian, a scholar uh, whose work has enriched our understanding of the Baptist tradition and the Christian tradition. But today we've been talking not about church history in general, but about Johann Sebastian Bach, the the great composer who was born in 1685 and died in 1750. His music is living still. It can enrich your life. And we're going to listen to some of it right now. We're going to listen to this chorale on Ein Festeborga, Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Thank you, Jason, for this wonderful conversation. Thank you.
listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.